Um, so the other um, sea salt that I love is Vancouver Island sea salt. I grew up on Vancouver Island in Canada, and it is like ocean water <laughs> that is turned into into salt, and it smells the way the beach, like the beach smells, the air at the beach smells. So for me, I can smell the salt, and it smells like home. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. And this week, I have the privilege of welcoming back someone you might recall as having been on the show before, Sarah! As, as, her, <laughs> as our listener said a, a couple a couple of uh, episodes ago, R.I.P. Sarah. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still. Yay, I'm, still I'm so I'm glad. Still here. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Um, but I, I, I do. I, I did appreciate the question. I thought that was a great episode. Ugh. I love that you've been listening to and enjoying the show. We just had a chat, which we never have done before, before we recorded for our Patreon listeners, because we knew that it was the first time that we've spoken verbally in weeks. And that it, we were going to have a lot of chit chat at the top of the show if we didn't do that first. So if you want to catch up with what Sarah's been up to and hear us just gab like friends, um, and there's some great tidbits in there that I think would be great for you over on patreon.com slash the whole view. Uh, but before we get started with today's actual topic, a reminder that we are not medical professionals. This podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And we recommend you consult a licensed service provider. I would ask what you've been up to, but we did that on Patreon already. Um, which, speaking of Patreon, we're here to dive into a topic that the community asked about in ye olden days <laughs> <laughs> of earlier episodes. And good news for you, I did the research this week and we get to talk about salt. Um, I know that it may seem simple, maybe to our listeners. I know you, as a science nerd, know that salt is not simple, but we're excited to be here to prove otherwise. I think one of the main questions that a lot of people have is why is salt, why is too much salt bad? Mm-hmm. Too little salt also bad? Yeah. And then which salts are the best? What's the differences between them? Why does it matter? All those questions we're going to answer if we can figure out how to run through a show quickly. We've got six pages of notes, <laughs> um, which is par for the course here when Sarah and I are together. But um, I do want to share an ex- excerpt from a fantastic resource I read. Salt built the Great Wall of China and helped turn New York into America's biggest city. Without it, civilizations would never have thrived and technology would be stuck in the Stone Age. Salt launched wars and sparked revolution, all because humans can't survive without it. And that is from a really cool video and article about it on um, the history website. And we'll put a link in the show notes because there's literal videos of history about salt. 
<laughs> I mean, salt is fascinating when you think of its role in the like building of civilization. Did you know that the word salary is actually derived from the word salt because in like ancient Roman Empire, the soldiers were paid in salt. It was that valuable. I did not know that that's where the word came from, but did know after researching, not before, that it was that important of a commodity. And before refrigeration, it was equal in value to gold. Like, what? (laughs) That's great. Because we just... I mean, we throw salt around so much in modern days. Like, I think that concept is very hard for us to understand. Yeah, well, think about the ability to cure food, right? Because that was the the first real applications of salt was in fermentation and curing. And that meant that all of a sudden, like, humans weren't tied to seasonality and and you know staying by the the crops to harvest like suddenly we could travel and expand you know our our territory where we're going to like salt salt actually really opened the door for a lot of those first steps pun, pun intended of developing like culture civilization because it allowed us to to live a more nomadic life without having to spend as much resources. Like we didn't have to hunt and gather, right? We could be nomadic with our, you know, pack of, of food and carry that with us because we could cure and store food thanks to salt. Yeah. I was really interested in the story that I read about the salt march. Have you heard of this before? I have not. So in 1882, Britain did a SALT Act that prohibited Indians, not Native Americans, Indians from collecting or selling salt, which was a staple in their diet, in order to force them to buy from the British, who then exercised a monopoly over the sale of it and charged a heavy tax. And that is when, in 1930, Gandhi... It was kind of like at the the height of um, his movements and his supporters defied the British policy by making salt from seawater. It was like a really big deal. And that is referred to as the Salt March. And obviously, a bunch of policies have changed since then. But I don't fully know a lot of history around Gandhi and was surprised to hear that that's kind of was... Uh, a critical moment in his movement and leadership. So, and didn't know, but I'm not surprised because I'm an American. I don't know British uh, history either, right? But Americans don't really, that I'm aware of, produce a lot of salt. So it's not like we have a lot of knowledge (laughs) here in the States about it. But I'm excited to dive in today. All right, so Sarah, tell us, what is salt scientifically? speaking. Uh, It is an essential mineral. It is uh, an electrolyte. So that means that it is used in muscle contraction, including the beating of our heart, uh, as well as really important for nerve conductance. So how our brains work and how our nervous system works. Um, But it's also really fundamental for 
kidney function. So the kidneys use uh, sodium as well as potassium to basically force water across a osmotic gradient in order to filter all of the things that the kidneys filter out, right, that are uh, excreted out of the body in urine. So sodium is actually really fundamental for kidney function as well. And then it's also really fundamental for regulating pH. So uh, it is utilized for regulating both intracellular pH, so the pH inside our cells, as well as extracellular, so like the pH of our blood. So it's one of these you know minerals that has just a ton of different roles. And it basically has this, this role because when salt is in a liquid, so the, the, the chemical salt is sodium chloride, as soon as it's in a liquid, it dissociates and you get a sodium ion and a chlorine chloride at ion and chloride actually has is also an electrolyte and also has a lot of important important roles in human health um but sodium is sort of considered sodium's the sodium's the the scapegoat i think in salt so a lot of the negative health effects associated with really high salt intake are really purely attributable to sodium out of the the pair of sodium and chloride um and also because I already mentioned potassium, very specifically related to not just high sodium, but high sodium at the same time as low potassium, because they have this like give and take relationship. So in just about all of the biochemistry that I just mentioned, sodium and potassium are kind of like on opposite sides. So whatever sodium does, potassium like does the reverse. So same, right, how they impact pH, they basically antagonize each other in a functional way. Like that's why we need both. And so salt, um, salt also can help us increase nutrient absorption from food, which is probably like why it's also this amazing flavor enhancer. So we have evolved to seek it because it is fundamental for health. If you don't consume enough salt, you do die. Um, so it is an essential mineral. Um, and also it's, uh, something that we actually have very specific taste receptors on our tongue for. So we, we taste right. Bitter, sour, salty, sweet, and umami is our five main, main taste buds. Um, and so salt is something that we're actually, uh, evolutionarily disposed to seek, um, and that's because it's this essential mineral. It's found in nearly all foods, at least to some degree. So vegetables, fruits, nuts, meats, dairy, whole grain. There's a little bit, but not anywhere near like how much we're getting in, in our modern diet. So in our modern diet, about 75% of our salt intake comes from processed foods, like restaurants, prepackaged foods, about 12% is naturally occurring in all those foods. About 5% is used when we cook at home and about 6% is added at the table. So only about 11% of our salt intake is actually like cooking and adding it, seasoning it at the table on average. That's a crazy percentage like I would never have guessed that it was that low I do know that about nine out of ten Americans get 
too much sodium. So you had mentioned, you know, we need it, but it can also be really bad for us. I am curious, what is that mechanism? So basically, um, when we consume, so we need uh, the sort of a lower limit is considered something like 500 milligrams, like half a gram is sort of considered the like absolute bare minimum that you need to keep living. But below about two and a half to three grams, you actually can see things like increased cardiovascular disease risk. And that's because um, the kidneys help regulate blood pressure. And so when we have too much sodium and not enough potassium, basically the kidneys can't remove enough water, right? Because that osmotic gradient that uses sodium and potassium to help filter the blood isn't working as well. So you end up with higher blood volume and that increases blood pressure. And then high blood pressure, of course, is a major risk factor for uh, cardiovascular disease like stroke and heart disease. Um, It also then strains the kidneys that also high salt intake can increase risk of chronic kidney disease. Um, and, um, and so it's a, so high salt intake, basically the, the main way that it's harming us is high blood pressure, but low salt intake is harming us because it's the reverse, right? So now the osmotic gradient isn't working, uh, as well. So then you end up with not enough water in your blood. So then you have like basically the ratio of blood cells to serum in your blood is different. And then that strains the cardiovascular system as well. So it's um, the big things that it's linked to, right, is the things that are linked to high blood pressure. So diabetes and cardiovascular disease. There's some uh, links to stomach cancer, um, as well as maybe total cancer with high salt intake. Um, And of course, kidney disease. There's some preliminary data that maybe it can be linked to osteoporosis over time, but there's conflicting data on that, so it's not super strong. Um, But what's really interesting is uh, what's defined as high is usually like over nine grams a day, and what's defined as low is usually like three grams or less. And studies that have looked at like the dose response, so this is what you know, you and I have had many conversations back in the olden days of this podcast about um, biology having uh, a lot of things in biology having this U-shaped curve, right? Where too much and too little is harmful. And salt is like the classic example. The the perfect number, amount of salt for human health is like five-ish grams plus or minus one, like somewhere between four and six is kind of that perfect range when you look at all-cause mortality. So that takes into account cardiovascular disease and cancer and kidney disease and uh, diabetes and all of these different things. And so it's the the happy medium is is right around there. So it's uh, really because of its role in, like really fundamental role in kidney function that is the the chain, (laughs) the link in that chain that goes from high or low salt to health problems. I myself um, am really fascinated by this topic because I am someone who loves and craves salt. It's a joke in the house that like I put salt on my salt. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not that bad, but you know, Matt 
undersalts to my liking for dinner. So we just always have to have like finishing salt on the table. And we're going to talk about the different kinds of salts later. But I'm interested specifically because I am someone who craves bananas, which has Mm -hmm. potassium in it. So that would make sense that my body would be wanting to balance that out. But I am also someone who is prone to dehydration. So I am not as on top of my water intake as I would like to be all the time. Um, And I actually had clinical dehydration, not to where I needed to be hospitalized, but was diagnosed and got an IV in an ER because um, I was swimming and was not drinking water, right? And so my, I think my body is telling me like, oh, you need electrolytes, you need more fluids, you know, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, let me put more salt on food, which doesn't actually, I mean, a lot of the foods that we eat have water in it, fresh vegetables and stuff like that, but not the same way that I need to be drinking. And I also got dehydration, which caused vertigo when I was competing in strongman. And that was the first time that I'd ever gotten it and the first time I kind of like my eyes open to I need to be drinking more water and I was intentionally not drinking water because I didn't want to have to go to the bathroom and you know when you're like competing for many many hours and you're lifting heavy things and you're sprinting like as a mom of biological mom of three pregnancies like <laughs> my body was like hey Be mindful of what's going to happen when you lift heavy. (laughs) So I was avoiding drinking water. And um, I wasn't at the time adding electrolytes or anything else either. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't clued in to a lot of the stuff that I needed to be when I first started competing. So I got vertigo. And then later we talked about, I think on the chlorine show, how I was not aware that being in a pool was dehydrating me. That seemed ironic at the time. But because of all that, I've become very mindful of my water intake. And we've talked about how I now have a giant jug on my desk at all times and try to make sure that I'm drinking. I really love mineral water now, too, Mm -hmm. um, which is a great electrolyte source. And I find that it is more quenching and helpful for me. All that to say, um, some of the symptoms to be aware of if you're getting too much salt are things that I try to be mindful of because of my previous experiences, but they might show up differently for different people, right? It's not like all of these will hit you all at once. Um, So bloating, if your stomach feels swollen or tight, if you have puffy Um, If you have swelling or buildup, usually in ankles, feet, face, hands, right, Mm -hmm. like different exterior areas, Um, fingers, if you're feeling weak, like you just, I guess, are super tired, right, because if you didn't get enough, um, or no, if you got too much salt, then your cells don't have what they need to make you feel energized, Um, excessive thirst, can dehydrate you because too much salt is going to cause you to be dehydrated. So then your body wants more water. Um, High blood pressure, which you talked about um, with the kidneys and restless sleep. So whether restless leg or just restless in general can be a sign of too much salt before bed. Um, Were there other things that you 
Well, I was going to say what's really fascinating is the signs of two little salts have a fair amount of overlap with that. (laughs) So like muscle weakness and fatigue and um, spasms, headaches, vertigo, which you mentioned, Mm -hmm. fainting, and then like vomiting and confusion are signs of what's called hyponatremia, so like too little sodium in the blood. So what's really interesting is it's, it's one of those like if you're not sure this is a really easy blood test that your doctor can run and tell you if you've got too much salt or too little salt in your blood, because, um, you know, it's basically the, the overlap of symptoms I think could make it really challenging to know if you're consuming too much or too little. Although I would, I'm going to presume, and this is not uh, this is n- this is not sciencey anymore. Um, <laughs> that that if you're dealing with some of those symptoms, you can probably look at how you've been eating and probably make a very educated guess yeah. about whether or not it's too much or too little salt. Sure. Uh, Versus and also like salt versus potassium, um, because as you know, as we already said, they they really counterbalance each other. So uh, especially if um, especially if your salt intake is on the like higher end of that range. There's a lot of science showing that as long as you're getting a lot of potassium, that that's not harmful. Um, the big epidemiological studies can't really, can't really look at that because <laughs> inadequate don't want to potassium is, yep. is so, is so common. Um, so it's much easier to kind of just measure how much salt people are consuming and then look at look at outcomes. Um, but the mechanistic studies that are trying to understand how salt works to either support our health, if it's in that happy medium range or harm our health, if it's either too low or too high, really show that it's, it's maybe not how much salt we're consuming per se, but the, the salt to potassium rich foods sort of combination. And so, it's one of the reasons why like cooking at home is so healthy because not only are you naturally getting less salt because you're going to consume far fewer of those really salt rich processed foods and uh, like fast food, uh, fast dining um, type type foods are all pretty high salt, but also generally on average, if you're cooking at home, you're going to eat more fruits and vegetables, which are generally our best sources of potassium. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the low symptoms. And I because I do think that this is something that fluctuates for people also. Like for me personally, when I'm traveling, I'm obviously eating out more. And um, especially like if I have a drink of alcohol, I find that I am much more sensitive and prone to like bloating and being puffy. And that would make sense because we're talking about the function of kidneys and how that interacts with my liver feeling like, whoa, you're giving us all these things all at once. Right. So I think one of the things to just, as we talk about not being too sciencey, um, to be aware of is if you are going to be in an environment where your body is going to be having more salt than you normally would have, or if you are competing and an athlete and you need to add electrolytes, um, you know, there's different, like for me, my body has both had too little salt and too much salt, and I don't have blood pressure issues. I don't have anything like that to indicate 
that there's a real concern. It's all just about like me, me needing to be more aware and to mm-hmm. learn. Um, I guess I could get my blood tested, but again, like at one point it was too little at one point it's too much. Like, so I think we just need to also listen to our bodies. I don't crave bananas all the time. When I do, I eat a banana, right? Like I, I just think that, um, if we are operating in an environment where we're not like judging ourselves for the food that we're eating, we don't have shame about the foods that we're eating and we can just come to some kind of neutrality and let our body tell us, Hey, um, raising my hand, a banana, some potassium would be really nice. Like, okay, great. Thanks for letting me know. Versus <laughs> like, no, you know, I just ate two hours ago and bananas have so many carbs or, you know what I mean? I just, I feel like if we can get to a place where we're letting our bodies speak, then it has more opportunity to say like, I need, I need liquid, which is something I'm also learning. I don't know, just growing up, I never drank water like we had milk on the table for meals and water consumption wasn't it's one of the few things that um, like I was like, I really need to change this habit with my kids and um, wish that I had built that habit sooner because it's so much harder later. And now I just lean so much into like flavoring sparkling water in order to get myself to want to drink it because it's just not acquired. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Right now, hiring is a challenge. It's time for a hiring partner that can help you rise to the challenge. I personally got my big career break back in ye olden days through Indeed. They've grown so much since then. If you dream it, you can do it, right? if only self-fulfilling prophecies worked for hiring your team. When you partner with Indeed, building the right team is that simple. The right candidate is doing everything they can to find you. And if you use Indeed, you can be sure you're doing everything you can to find them too. And now Indeed has virtual interview options to save you time. Finding great talent doesn't have to be a second job. You can hire faster and better with Indeed. They're the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't need to pay. Indeed is the number one source of hires in the U.S., according to Talent Nest, and 73% of U.S. online job seekers search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to indeed.com slash wholeview to claim your $75 credit before April 30th. One more time, that's indeed.com slash wholeview. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by AARP, which I know you're saying to yourself, but Stacy, you're only 29. Turns out you do not need to be any age to join AARP. I know, right? Here's the thing. I plan on being around long after I turn 50. So while I'm still technically young in the eyes of most people, except my teens, I'll soon be facing the same issues many Americans over 50 do. Why not start getting benefits now? Supporting AARP means that you're supporting advocates to ensure we have affordable health care, lower prescription costs, and protected Social Security when we need it. 
AARP is the largest advocacy group for ages 50 and above and offers financial and job resources, fraud protection help, information on joining local volunteer groups, and much more because they too want you to have a lot of good years ahead. AARP membership benefits come at very little cost and include access to hundreds of benefits and discounts and social programs, from family caregiving support and job board and resume advisors to driver safety tips, financial planning, retirement, social security resources, plus the AARP magazine delivered to your door with news, interviews, and articles relevant to you. Not to mention savings, y'all. I saved $68 on one night at a hotel on our recent spring break trip. The membership was $12. So if you're looking for discounts to grocery stores, hotels, and even exclusive insurance plans that cover everything from health and home to pet and auto, I suggest you look into it. When I asked my dad about his AARP experience, he texted in all caps, I love AARP. I chipped a tooth last week, went to the dentist, and AARP Medical Advantage Plan paid for it 100%. Try the benefits for yourself. Go to aarp.org slash wholeview to join for just $12 for your first year with automatic renewal. You'll get a second membership for free, plus AARP the magazine and a free gift. That's aarp.org slash wholeview. Okay, I'm not. I'm going to stop rambling because I want to talk about specific salts. Are you ready? Can we? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I was fascinated to learn is that there are both edible and non-edible salts. Now I'm saying that out loud now, and I feel like, well, duh, Stacy, um, because salt is a rock, <laughs> so it's going to be <laughs> one of very few rocks commonly eaten by humans. Um, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that there uh, are. I actually think that it's not intuitive. I don't think most of us, most of us buy salt in the store. We're not thinking that it's right. mined. Right? <laughs> right. Like, I don't we're know. not thinking that it's, that there's a cave somewhere with machinery that is like scooping out giant chunks of this stuff that then goes to a factory to get crushed. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. That's not on most of our radars. So uh, for those of you that don't know. There, there is non-edible salt and it can be toxic. <laughs> so don't eat that salt. Um, but I would like to talk about the edible salts. And the one that um, was kind of like that aha moment for me is when I got into curing salts, which is non-edible, and um, realized that I had been making a mistake. So before we get there, heads up. Stace is going to have an embarrassing story to tell you. <laughs> Let's talk about edible salts. I think the one that's like gets the most questions and the most controversy is what's called table salt or iodized salt. The one that you most commonly would find, especially in a restaurant, right? Yeah. Um, or, or even in, I would say it's like the, the most obvious one in the grocery store. It's always the cheapest mm, salt. Yeah. You know, like unless you're specifically a salt snob like I am. <laughs> yeah, we're both. And, and I, I collect them. Uh, what can you I You heard me talk about how much I love salt. Like mm -hmm. I'm, it's not just boring salt that I'm eating, right? Like it's yeah. adding delicious flavor to my food. Yes. So the one thing that is interesting to me about iodized salt is that it contains potassium iodide. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that is 
can you presume um, to help the balance for Americans who are getting so much extra salt? So my understanding of the history of iodized salt is it actually wasn't added, potassium iodide wasn't added for the potassium per se, but added for the iodine because uh, goiters were so common. And so it was actually because uh, uh, goiters is like a type of thyroid disease that could be caused by low iodine consumption. And it's why the, the, it was one of the very first fortifications that, that happened um, in Western countries. And it basically made goiters go from something that was, I mean, it's not like everyone had them, but went, went from something that was just like a thing that sometimes people had to n- not not a thing. I mean, I don't, I don't, I've, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody with a goiter. Like I, maybe, I don't know, but, um, but it, that was what my understanding is, is, is where that fortification came from in table salt. And of course the issue, the reason why this particular salt gets like thrown under the bus a lot is that if you're consuming excess salt, and it's iodized table salt that is the dominant salt used in fast food and, uh, you know, in the little salt shaker in the restaurant on the table, is that then that you can be consuming excess iodide, which then is also uh, stressful and harmful for your thyroid and can cause hypothyroidism. So the, the it, you know, again, it's another mineral with a U-shaped curve. We need enough of it for our happy little thyroids but too much of it is not good and makes our thyroid sad. So, um, so it's one of those <laughs> like just, a vision of my thyroid, like I, womp womp. <laughs> I have a stuffed animal thyroid um, on my on of my desk. Of course you do. Of course. Uh, that <laughs> that a friend gave me um, that uh, that has a happy happy face on it. Um, so I I very much have a little avatar for my thyroid right beside me. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's basically, it fixed a problem. And then as our salt intake got higher and higher, it's not enough potassium to balance out the sodium, but it is too much iodine. So, um, that's why table salt in general sort of gets such a bad, bad rap in health conscious communities is because, when you're consuming a lot of salt, it can be too much iodine. But if you're consuming a regular amount, I mean, I personally think it is the most boring salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to get some iodine in an unrefined salt, along with lots of other trace minerals, which makes unrefined salts really, really fantastic. And I know we're going to talk about that in a minute because I can see the notes in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I would. I mean, I don't have any just regular old table salt in my house because it's boring and it's doesn't have the flavor that other kinds of salts have but I don't think it I don't think it's deserving of of this demonization yeah that that it gets I just you know uh in moderation it's fine I would say I think the thing that we haven't mentioned is that it is the salt that is used in the curing process, so to speak, for mm-hmm. modern foods. So where we might call those processed foods otherwise, right? Like if we think about modern foods as being, I'm going to use quotation marks, cured, because at the top of the show, we talked about how it revolutionized food for people and became a um, such high trade value. The reason that companies are able to package products and put food on the shelf for so long without it going bad, which creates, you know, lack of food scarcity in a lot, 
a lot of parts of the world, so it does a lot of good, is this kind of table iodized salt, right? And so when you shared that most people are only getting 11% of their salt at home, I think it's less about, I mean, maybe a lot of people are eating fast food and it's just not my bubble, Um, but at least where I live, even, you know, my neighborhood who isn't, you know, I wouldn't say like health conscious, but they're also like families in suburbia. Um, They are going to put more packaged type foods in with their kids' lunches or those kinds of things, but they're not like eating out fast food every night, if that makes sense. And so we eat packaged foods. Yeah. Let's let's just like, yeah, we eat packaged foods and some of those packaged foods are salty and delicious. Yes. 100%. (laughs) I love me a salty food. Um, (laughs) But so, and I'm trying really hard to also change the wording of like, I just think that processed foods has become so demonized. and, And I'm like, what does that really mean? Because you know, we could say, and we did say collagen is a processed food, but that's something that we use or recommend, right? Like, so there's, I think if, if I'm going to try to use my words carefully, it's that it is a cured food with salt. And that could look very different for a lot of different things. We could be talking about jerky, we could be talking about potato chips, right? Like there's, there's Mm -hmm. so many different things. So Anyway, ultimately, that's the source that is in those foods. So it is important to be aware that while you might not be using iodized salt at home, all the things that we just talked about would apply if you're using them in packaged goods. Um, it's very, very rare that you're going to find. And there are some high, you know, high quality foods, so to speak, that have um, the different kind of salts that we're going to talk about as for curing, but most of them are going to be this iodized salt. The other thing I want to mention is that there's usually anti-caking agents in that salt because the grain is so fine that it would not be ideal for cooking or baking because it's going to alter the taste and perhaps even the way that the recipe is working from like a chemical scientific perspective based on that extra stuff that they're putting in there. So, okay. We're ready to move on to the fun salts. Yeah. <laughs> so one of my favorites, I'm not going to lie, is just coarse salt, what's called kosher salt. Um, it's light in texture. It's like light, but it's coarse, right? So um, I don't think that it's as easy to oversalt with this um, because you also like taste the molecules more on your tongue and mm. it's still quite affordable. Um it's around $4 for a three pound box. So it's not like exclusionary, like some of the other salts we're going to talk three, about. Three pounds is a lot of salt. That'll it's last a lot. For a while. It's yeah. a lot of salt. Um, and something to, to think about that I wasn't aware of is that different brands of salt, specifically for kosher, are going to have different levels of salinity. So if you're using Morton's brand kosher salt, it's about one and a half times more salty than the Diamond Crystal brand. Both are kosher salt. I happen to love Morton's. And once I read that, I was like, of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> I so, actually, like, I don't, I don't understand what, why that, the chemistry, why that would be. Uh, why that would be. I, do, I don't know. Um, That's interesting. Something for me to, to look up. When we're done recording. Look, like you're learning something on the show. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So I would just say, like, if you're going to switch up your brands between cooking, be aware, right? If you've been using Diamond and then all of a sudden you buy Morton's, don't salt it the same way because you're going to oh, be like, yeah, that's going to be a surprise. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, do you like one kosher of my salt? Fav- so I don't use kosher salt very often. Um, I'm sad so for my- you. I'm sad for your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I like um, Maldon sea salt. Uh, you and I discovered that together at a restaurant, I think in Philadelphia. And we asked the server to go ask the chef what type of salt (laughs) was on whatever the appetizer was. And she came back and she was like, it's just Maldon's sea salt. And we're like, how does, how is that spelled? Hang on. Like you're (laughs) acting like this is a normal thing that is so boring. And this is the most amazing salt that has ever uh, like just completely blown my mind. And so that's my my favorite finishing salt. Um, I love that I'm part of this memory for you because yeah, no, I bet when you're eating, sometimes together. you think of me every makes, time. That makes every me feel time. happy. Um, cause, because it's also one of those salts cause it's sort of big flakes. You can kind of, you do you, you do the little, the little twisty move with the fingers yes. that looks like you know what you're doing in the I kitchen. Love me a flaky salt. Yep. And, and it breaks up a little bit on your food while you sprinkle it. So, you know, you also look like a pro using it. So it's, it's got that <laughs> bonus. Um, but no, I think, I think sea salt is my favorite. Um, the other, these are not as affordable sea salts, but I only use them as finishing salts. I use pink salt as my cooking salt. Um, so the other, um, sea salt that I love is Vancouver Island sea salt. I grew up on Vancouver Island in Canada and it is like ocean water (laughs) that is turned into, into salt. And it smells the way the let the beach smells, the air at the beach smells. So for me, I can smell the salt and it smells like home. And it's, it's the other salt that is just like my favorite. So that's one of a really fun thing about sea salts is they, they can, they can have very different flavors depending on the trace minerals. So what happens in all of these unrefined salts is that part of this um, some of the sodium is displaced, like up to a quarter of the sodium is displaced. So sea salts can be up to like 75% of the sodium of, of regular salts. Um, and they're displaced with whatever other minerals are found in that particular environment, right? So like pink salt is pink because it has a lot of iron in it. Um, and so that it's all those other different minerals that actually lend the distinctive color, but also the distinctive taste of different sea salts. I love that idea. And I was surprised when I was going through to find so many different sea salts. And now you're sharing that and it makes so much sense. And I love the, I love thinking of you as eating the Vancouver salt and remembering home because I think that food has the capability to be so evocative of memories like that and I and and both of your favorite salts are very clear memories to you so Mm -hmm. I love that yep um so some of the other sea salts there's gray salt or sel gris and that's going to be from the coast of France and the gray color comes from the minerals that are left in it when the seawater evaporates, as you already mentioned. Um, And that one they say is best on roasted vegetables or grilled meat or seafood. And I'm down for all that. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Another one is um, red Hawaiian alea salt. Um, So that one's from the red Hawaiian salt 
sea salt that is mixed with iron oxide have you ever had it clay i have not have you it is delicious it is the um it is the traditional salt for like kalua pork type dishes oh um so that's that's the traditional salt that kalua pork is made so much sense yeah and it almost has it has a earthy flavor that's very reminiscent of smoked salt it says it's supposed to be nutty in flavor uh okay uh, yeah i guess I could, yes, I could, my, my go-to would have been earthy, but I could see nutty. Yeah. Okay. So if a salt, if a salt hasn't been smoked, which we're going to get to smoke salt, that would probably be the one that most naturally would give that type of flavor, which is interesting because it's coming from volcanic clay. So that makes sense. (laughs) Um, Okay. Excellent. Good to know. Another one is uh, fleur de sel, which is very common, uh, popular in all the foodie circles really yeah um so I guess maybe because my family is Italian so it is both um popular in French and Italian cooking um fleur de sal is made from evaporated seawater and specifically comes from the coast of Brittany and the salt is um described as smelling like and tasting of the sea so very evocative for you of your home salt yes um it's it's a little more um wet to the touch so it's a little sticky and um all the ones that I've had have been flaky so you do have to do that special chef's move of Mm -hmm. twisting your fingers to put it on and it's definitely best as a finishing salt you wouldn't want to cook with it it's very um delicious it's like the kind of thing that I like to put on um um like baked goods you know if you make like Mm -hmm. uh, chocolate something and then you put salt on like that's my go-to for that um another is a um black Hawaiian salt which is black from activated charcoal in the seawater and it has a very strong flavor described as earthy I've never actually I've, I've had this one too, and I can say this is one that is not my favorite. Interesting. Um, I, I would imagine that it's the kind of thing that you want to try, and you're like, yep, it's, I've tried it's, that. It's, <laughs> I, see, I would describe red, red salt as earthy, and I would describe black salt as burnt. Right. I think it's the charcoal flavor. It, it's, yeah. Uh, that's so really interesting. was it Hawaiian black salt or was mm-hmm. it black yes. salt? Okay. I've had, I've had both, but, um, so again, like my family okay. knows that if they can't think of a, of a gift idea for me, like a collection salt. of salts <laughs> is like always going to make me happy. So, um, so yeah, so I've had both and, um, and I would say, yeah, it, it just, I, I feel like maybe I just haven't found the right thing to pair it with. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. definitely um, just the way that I, I think I put it on beef and it just wasn't, wasn't my favorite. Okay. Well, I'm interested because there's also a Himalayan black salt. So what? you said that you've had, I had no idea there was a Himalayan black. Well, salt. that's why maybe that's what you've had because oh, this one seems similar to what you're describing in that, um, it's got a 
it's got a, it's, I don't know how to say it's got a bad flavor. Um, it says it has a very distinctive flavor and smell, often described as soft boiled egg like. So I'm what? thinking. So I'm thinking it's like sulfur. You know, it's like like. Oh, it's gonna yes. smell like a fart, and it's commonly used in vegan recipes to mimic the taste of eggs. Never had I ever heard of this, but was so fascinated. <laughs> so you haven't had you haven't had fart salt? Um, no, maybe that is maybe the fart maybe salt that's what is you've had. what I had. <laughs> um, because definitely, yeah, I would have described it as sort of burnt, but of course, that burnt smell yes. can be a very carbony slash sulfury yes. smell yeah that's what um, i was thinking yeah so maybe that maybe that is the the blacks the black salt that i had yeah. um yeah well um, i think we're all familiar with the most common type of himalayan yeah. salt which is himalayan pink salt yeah so this is what is um seen as the purest of all salt himalayan pink salt is harvested from the do you know how to pronounce kira nope okay so we're gonna go with that uh, salt mine in the Himalayan mountains of Pakistan, and it is easily recognizable because of its pink color. And the salt contains eighty-four natural minerals, mm-hmm. natural minerals found in the human body. Yeah, and actually, that's—I mean, that's why this is actually a lower sodium salt. So Himalayan salt probably has the lowest amount of sodium. Uh, it's, like, it's not Morton's kosher salt. It's not Morton's kosher salt <laughs> um, compared to all of these other salts that we're talking about because all of these minerals, you know, it's like naturally high in like boron. I, boron has rules in the human body that I don't, I don't actually know. I don't um, even know what's happening in my body. And I've been talking about it for a decade. <laughs> like what? <laughs> but this is my Himalayan pink salt is what I generally cook with. Like it's my... Yeah. That's that's the salt that I just I have in all the different yeah. salt the two things. That, the two that we have in our house all the time are Himalayan pink salt and kosher salt. Like kosher salts are our go to, and then we usually finish with pink salt um, or flake salt. So yeah, um, I do the opposite. I cook with pink salt and I finish with sea salt. Flake salt, yeah, yeah. Um, which also works really well. It's just. I'm a kosher salt gal, as I mentioned already. <laughs> um, so they mentioned flake salt as its own kind of thing, but we've mentioned already that like um, cell grease and fleur de sel are flake salts, but it's just important to know from a texture perspective that it's irregularly shaped. They often look like pyramids and... Um, yeah, they're pretty. Yeah, they're so pretty. Like, like they look like they're rocks, like you know, they're little, yeah, they're, they're little crystals. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, they're beautiful and are often sprinkled on top of like to bake goods. Flake, flake salt is, that's going to be your best bet there. And then smoked salt. So this, mm-hmm. you could smoke any salt, right. By cold smoking salt with wood, often something like an apple hickory or mesquite, kind of like you would do with meat. And then when you, do that or when you buy that you're then putting the flavor of the smoke into the food um and its flavor and color can vary depending on the source of the original salt and the type of wood used to smoke it and a lot of people like this in dishes like chili or in barbecue sauces Mm -hmm. because you're trying to kind of put that smoke flavor in the food i use smoked salt in like taco fajita type with those kinds of flavorings Mm. so um, I find there's something about the smoky flavor that 
just like enhances all of those warm spices that are in that. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite smoked salt. Uh, it's actually, I don't even know if it's being made anymore. So I'm going to share it anyways, though. But Hep's has a, what they call seven fire smoked salt. Um, so it's literally smoked with seven different woods and it is black and it is so good. So good. It's all the smoke. It's every smoke. I'm kind of interested to have Matt put some salt in the smoker the next time we smoke some stuff. Although good smoke salt is saying could be in there for up to two weeks. We're not going to smoke it that long, but. So what I have done in the past is actually like put a little, um, just like a tray Mm. in whatever shelf in my smoker is not being used Mm -hmm. for whatever I'm smoking. And then just like every time I use my smoker, I put it back in. Um, and it definitely takes like three or four times to really mm. get a smoky. A yeah, because we usually flavor. have at least a rock or two that's not being used. We do try to smoke multiple things at once just to, you know, get the benefit of doing it. Even yeah. if we like, if I'm going to pull out the smoker. It's, yeah. it's going to be a project and I'm going to get the most value for that time commitment <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, what's awesome is I have teenagers who I can put in charge of the smoker now. It's so amazing. I'll be like, Cole, dad set it up. He's going to work. You need to go check it every 45 minutes. Okay. (laughs) I mean, amazing. Amazing. Okay, let's talk about inedible salts, shall we? Things we need to not be eating. Have you ever used these? Yes. Okay, let me tell you my embarrassing story about curing salts. Okay. (laughs) Don't eat curing salts. And this is news to me. (laughs) So... Now, I hope that when I tell you this story, you're going to be like, ah, I could have made that mistake. Okay, so um, thoroughly cured foods can be stored without refrigeration for months. Um, Salt curing makes foods denser and more concentrated in flavor. And um, the curing process breaks down and tenderizes and will make sure you don't get like bacteria and all kinds of stuff. And when we did Beyond Bacon, we did cure our own pork. Oh, and I remember that. Yeah. We put it in a closet for, <laughs> for like months and we made our own ham I think I don't even remember what we did prosciutto took too long I remember that in particular because I wanted to make prosciutto and it was going to be like a year and I was like we don't have a year for this book so um we had a significant amount of curing salt from that project and um we needed salt for something and I like put it in a bowl like, well, this salt's all we've got. I ran out of whatever, right? We didn't have salt, which is a... It's pink, right? Curing salt? Yes. Okay, isn't like, so it's... Isn't it like Pepto-Bismol pink? It is dyed pink so that you don't confuse it with table salt and oh. use it. Oh, no. Because they don't <laughs> want you to put people in danger. Sodium nitrate, even in small quantities, is very dangerous and can kill. The lowest known lethal dose of sodium nitrate is 71 milligrams per kilogram of body weight so at this level about a teaspoon of pure sodium nitrate could be enough to kill an average adult I was reading this and I was like oh my gosh I put that in a bowl on a table and was like because it's pink but so is the pink salt that we use Mm -hmm. like it didn't occur to me that I could be hurting anybody now fortunately some adult human 
came along and was like, what is this? Threw it out and it didn't like get eaten or used or whatever. But I think I did cook with it at least once. I don't know. And after I read this, I was like, oh my gosh. So don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Um, um, I mean, I don't think I, I like, I, I know there's some stuff in it and I know it's pink and I, I don't think that I knew that it was, it's so funny to think of something that you're using for curing food, mm-hmm. not being able to be eaten. So right? I guess at the same time, if you think about it from the perspective that it can kill like bacteria. Oh yeah. You know, so like mm-hmm. if you're, but just a lot of salt period could kill bacteria. Yeah. Like they don't like a lot of salt. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Cause then you're putting it on the food that you're eating like, and you don't have to rinse that off. So I, I don't understand, but just don't put that. Don't put curing salt on your table. It's not good. That's what I learned. This is your lesson for mm-hmm. today. Yeah. All fair. right. The next one I use all the time. I love Epsom salt. Are you, you not? Are you not? Can't, I love Epsom salts. Okay. What's uh? What's in them that makes them not not edible? Are they not edible? I guess they're not edible. So I've never tried eating them. Yeah. What. What I read is that it contains, Epsom salt contains magnesium, which is I love about it, sulfur Mm -hmm. and oxygen. And its name came from a bitter saline spring in Epsom in Surrey, England, where the salt was produced from springs that arise from the porous chalk of the North Downs meets non-porous London clay. Now, when you're using your Epsom salt, you just sit back and, you know, feel very fancy about your Surrey, England. (laughs) like what a pastoral description yeah I feel like we should be listening to like Beethoven right now yes well I am sipping my tea so it says um the secret to Epsom salt great value for medicinal purposes is carbon and in one form or another it is the main constituent of the building materials which go to form our vegetation obviously and in turn provide our food and um It is in the crude form of carbon that the waste products of the human body are thrown off. The magnesium draws out the carbon and renders the now inert residue soluble, thereby facilitating excretion. You know, I love to talk about excretion. Um, (laughs) It says taken internally in small doses, Epsom salt acts on the kidneys and by increasing the action of these organs brings about a greater elimination of waste matter. Um, Its chief value, however, lies in external application because of its power of drying stored tissue waste from the body through the skin. General rule of thumb is to fill a tub of water with about 5% Epsom salt. So I guess what it's saying is that if you were to consume it in large doses, it would probably cause digestion distress from like loose stools or something like that right yeah it must be must be the trace minerals or i mean exactly what form that carbon is yeah. in that's in it that is something that's not not good in large doses i mean i've i've it's not like i've looked at it and gone mm, i wonder what that tastes like i've never even thought about eating up some salt but i i just i don't think that it ever occurred to me that it was that different from table salt but clearly magnesium sulfur and oxygen and carbon would all those are all minerals that would make a difference so there you go all right another one that i didn't realize was a salt is barium chloride which now yes 
if mm. I know that the chloride word is there, but that's what's used in fireworks as a coloring agent to cause them to burn green flames and, you know, different kinds of things. Is it, is it the same? Is that also what they use in medical imaging? Probably. But at yeah. least barium. Yeah. I, I had that put up my butt once. <laughs> Who knew this is where the show was going today? All right. Uh, potassium cyanide. And in the 1980s, this fa- a fun fact for you, there was, because I know that you like true crime. Everybody loves true crime. In the 80s in Chicago, there was a big case called the Tylenol murders. And someone was injecting cyanide to Tylenol capsules, resealing and packaging them and putting the now toxic meds into the pharmacy. Seven people died and no one was arrested for the crime. And But that is why... It's like it takes a PhD in engineering to open a Tylenol bottle now. Um, And also, you you know, we had a conversation once about like, um, why does just a minute amount of something cause your body harm, right? Like if you're celiac and you have a crumb of gluten, why is that that big of a deal? Like I think of this story now when I think about like how little something can affect you because this was being added to a Tylenol capsule. Imagine how minute an amount would need to be included within a Tylenol capsule to kill people. Like that's just, that's don't eat that. That's not edible. Um, Others don't eat sodium nitrate, silver chloride, urinal nitrate, cobalt chloride. I don't know anything about those. I didn't research them all, but we will put a link to the show notes um, of where I got the source information for most of those. Um, So we already went through what iodized means. I'm curious if there are other chemical or nutrient differences that we didn't discuss. We know pink salt has the most. Do you... Can you point to other salts that would be like higher in nutrients? Like basically I want you to tell me that kosher salt is it's fine that I love it so much. I mean, it is fine that you love it so much. (laughs) Um, I, I think my understanding is, and um, this is, this is not something that I've looked up recently is that kosher salt is a purer salt than most like the other, I would sort of categorize all yeah, the other very salts we white. talked about as yeah. sea salts, right? Yeah. So that means that it's more sodium chloride than other minerals mixed with chloride, right? I mean, that makes um, sense. I want all the salt. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's it's a purer salt, but that doesn't mean it's better or worse. I mean, with something like pink salt, you're getting a lot of trace minerals, which is really great, but it's not the only way to get trace minerals. You could get trace minerals from eating sea vegetables or shellfish or uh, by adding um, sort of mineral drops to your water, depending on what type of mineral drops you're getting, like concentrates is made from uh, some kind of inland sea salt from Utah, I think. So it also has dozens and dozens of trace minerals. So it's not the only, like, you know, I think salt is a great opportunity to increase our intake of these really important, they're technically called ultra trace minerals because our bodies need such a small amount of them and they are definitely depleted in the modern food supply. So I think it's a great opportunity to get those great trace minerals, but it's not our only opportunity. So if kosher salt's the one you like, I don't, I don't see that as bad. Uh, Eat some potassium rich foods like those bananas. That's what I'm doing. I'm going with it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So 
we do have some awesome whole food sources that naturally are salty as well. Obviously, seaweed and saltwater fish and seafood would be great sources. Mm-hmm. We've talked extensively about that. We had our, what do we call it? Seaspiracy podcast. We'll yep. put a link to that in the show notes. Also, this was interesting to me, animal products, because if the animal has been open grazing with access to salt licks, right? It, they find some rocks when they're out and about. Like I think of the deers roaming through the woods and stuff like that. They will find um, a salt lick and consume also the plants grown in iodine-rich soils, which is interesting. Fun fact, all mammals are drawn to natural salt licks. Mm. Um, Even like ancient humans were like, like, you know, prehistoric man uh, hung around salt salt lick natural salt licks and that might have been because that's where the mammoths were going you mm-hmm. know what I mean mm-hmm. but I, it's highly unlikely that humans didn't also partake in natural salt licks which just look like they can look like rocks that you, mm-hmm. <laughs> animals are all licking but they can also just like look like mud and also the animals are licking the mud so um, I just I find the idea of like ancient humans being like, mm, this mud mm, tastes I'm great. Going to eat this mud. <laughs> We've all done <laughs> that hilarious. as yeah, we all did that as toddlers, right? We, we made sure, mud, we sure mud patties. Yeah, periodically um, as an adult, <laughs> just I didn't eat them as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> so fermented foods like tamari and sauerkraut, which mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about on the show, are all made using a salt to help keep the bacteria away. So they're going to naturally have more salt in them. You can often find low sodium versions of these foods as well if you don't want to increase your salt, right? Like we're giving you options here. Obviously like the seaweed is going to have more mineral rich version of a salty food than something like a soy sauce or tamari would because you don't know what salts that's been cured with, but probably not you know, Himalayan pink salt. (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. And I also mentioned jerky. So meat sticks, bacon, and other cured meats often are going to have more saltiness to them because of the curing process. Bacon would be my preferred way to ingest salt out of this list. Really? I would choose seaweed. I love seaweed so much. I Um, do. I mean, seafood in general were things that came out of the ocean. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We we didn't mention, but like one of my favorite salts or actually I guess we can we can close with this as we imagine ourselves eating salty foods now (laughs) like is it time to eat yet I love um this uh salt that's made that's half sea salt and half seaweed that's my jam and I love to put that specifically on eggs I love it on soup and I love it on rice it's like a finishing salt. I don't cook with it, but I love that it has um, dried particles of seaweed, and then it also has sea salt, um, kind of flaky sea salt in it. That's my that's my favorite favorite finishing salt. Um, I do have. I think it's like Maine Coast brand. I do have a sea veg salt around, and I don't think I use it. I really like it on rice, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I use it much else. Um, I think I've already mentioned right. Pink salt is sort of like my go to mm-hmm. for cooking. And then um, I would say uh, I I really like one of the things we didn't mention was truffle salt. Mm. Um, so I have a truffle salt that's made with Mediterranean sea salt, um, which is a sort of a celery family of of sea salts. Um, that it's just 
truffle, tr- very, 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 very small flakes of truffle. Um, and, but the flavor sort of permeates the salt. Um, so I, that's one of my favorite sort of finishing salts for especially, it's really good on fish and it's really good. Uh, it's just good on protein. It's just, it's just, it's so umami. It's good on everything. Um, and then Maldon sea salt and, um, Vancouver, well, I have a collection, but I did say Vancouver Island sea salt is like my other favorite finishing salt. Um, but also like I find certain flavored salts. I also have a collection. I have like lemon flavored and rosemary flavored and coffee flavored and red wine flavored. And I have a mustard flavored sea salt. Like there, this is again, my family all knows that just any kind of salt. It's going to, it's going to find a, a good home over here. Um, so flavored salts are another fun, like fun way to like add something, a really interesting dimension to food, but within that like salty package. And they're always made with unrefined sea salts as well. So I would say I also enjoy playing with the more overtly flavored salts as well. I don't, I don't like truffle salt or flavored salts. I don't know what's wrong with me, but it like overpowers the dish for me. Like I, I'm like, if I want lemon in my food, I'll put lemon in my food. I'm cranky about stuff like that. (laughs) Who knows? I really like Jacob's Jacobson, I think is the name of the brand salt Mm -hmm. as well. We haven't mentioned that. Um, They make a kosher salt that is on our counter right now. They also make a flake and a fine salt. Um, And then they have a whole bunch of flavored salts as well. So there are so many, so many brands and varieties of salt, but we hope that in covering all of the science and as much information as we could, we're all going to Google volcanic clay salt right now and yeah. rush to ordering it and then there's going to be a shortage um but i hope in sharing all of this information we encourage you not to eat curing salt and to diversify <laughs> your other salt consumption um if you want to catch up with sarah and i definitely pop over to the patreon.com slash the whole view and we've already had that chat so I can tell you it's fun and we just personally catch up and share um, some tidbits about our life and I know Sarah we also have plans to have you back on the show I don't have a time not that I would tell people but I know you can't get away for too long and um, we'll we have some topics that have already been requested that are in the docket for the future. So thank you so much for coming back and um, joining us. It's so nice to chat with you and to, to be a little more casual about it too. This is, this is fun. I'm sure it was more fun for you to not have to do all the. (laughs) Uh, It was, I mean, this was really fun. I mean, it's, it's both like, um, I would say, it's like the first time after I moved out to college that I came home for a visit, but my mom had moved houses. So it was all of the stuff that I grew up with in a different house. So it was like super familiar and then like fun and novel at the same time. This feels very much like that. Like, yeah, it's like riding a bike and it's like my old home, but it's also a little bit different and I love the new format. And so it's also really fun in that way too. So Uh, thank you for having me back and thank you listeners for, uh, just being here. I, it's, it's so, yeah, it's like, it's like coming home. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You're trying to say goodbye without saying, and I'll be back again next week. Um, just to remind you, if you're looking to keep up with Sarah, you can subscribe to her newsletter on thepaleomom.com and hopefully nutrivore.com soon. I know you're working very hard to get that up and running. You can catch us again, patreon.com slash the whole view, and I will be back again next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.